Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. Thank you for coming back once again. Great to have you with us for another episode. Um, before we get started, shall we thank our most recent Patreon supporters, Bethan? I think we should. Can I say thank you to them? You certainly can, as long as you don't fuck up their names. I will try my hardest. So yes, a huge thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our newest. So we have... Becky Eval, who has signed up annually, and Mark Bromley, who has signed up annually, and Caroline Hudson, Kate Adams, and Kelly Brannan. Thank you so much, everybody. Yeah, thank you uh, to all of you. If you want to join these guys, if you want to support us and support the show, ensuring we're around for a long time, not just a good time, then head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. Okay, so um, this week then we're going to be examining the life and crimes of Dale Cregan, who is arguably one of the most infamously feared gangsters in UK criminal history. Cregan earned his ferocious title on account of his psychotic and ruthless nature, not to mention his willingness to inflict appalling levels of violence on just about anyone who stood in his way, be it gangster, civilian or even the police. Cregan's story is as fascinating as it is terrifying. During his decade-long reign of terror over Manchester's criminal underworld, he ruthlessly killed his enemies without mercy or remorse. So dangerous was Dale Cregan that for a brief period of time, he was the UK's most deadly and most wanted fugitive. The police pulled out all the stops and launched an enormous manhunt to track him down and put a stop to his madness once and for all. Sadly though, by the time they caught up with him, it was too late and the damage was done. On the 18th of September in 2012, the Greater Manchester Police Emergency Dispatch Centre received an emergency 999 call from an apparently disgruntled man who claimed that someone had thrown a concrete slab through his window before running away. The man, who identified himself to the dispatch operator as one Adam Gartry, sounded calm and collected and spoke with a deep voice with a thick Mancunian accent as he provided the operator with his address. 30 Abbey Gardens in Mottram, a quiet village in Tameside in Greater Manchester. Mr Gartry was adamant that he didn't have any idea why anyone would throw a slab through his window. As far as he was concerned, he had no enemies or any ongoing feuds, and he claimed to have peered out of his bedroom window upstairs after hearing his downstairs window smash. He then said he witnessed a hooded male running away from the scene. That's quite, um, like, that is a big item as well. That's not just a brick. 
Yeah, it's like a That's whole huge. concrete slab. Yeah, it's massive. Um, so the dispatch... I'm amazed he's calm, though, because I don't think I'd be calm. No, but it will all become clear. Mm-hmm. So the dispatcher assured Mr. Gartry that a police unit wasn't far away and that they would reach his house within the next hour or so in order to take a statement. And before hanging up, Adam thanked the dispatcher and said, I'll be waiting. The police didn't initially treat this incident as particularly serious. Adam Gartry was uninjured, there was clearly no imminent threat to safety and the individual who had allegedly thrown this concrete slab through his window had been seen by Adam Gartry running from the scene so the police knew it would be unlikely that they would catch up with this person anytime soon so it wasn't, yeah, although it was a 999 emergency call it wasn't uh, one that they had to dispatch officers to immediately. I kind of understand that, although I'm sure we'll be um, upset by the, this decision, um, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, it's, I feel like I know the name of, um, I know his name, Dale Cregan, but I don't know that much. So I'm absolutely buzzing for this episode because this is going to be so interesting and something I've not, I don't really know much about. So uh, I'm, I, I'm I really nervous about what's going to happen to, like, do I like Adam? Do I not like Adam? I'm, I'm loving this. I'm sort of shocked because I thought you, I don't know why, and this happened like 10 years ago, but I thought you knew of this case and you really would know it. So I think it all you'll kind of remember elements of it as we go through. Maybe I will know it when we get to You might do, bits, yeah, yeah, but it's interesting. Um, so as I said, the police said that they'd be there within the hour and actually they, they were extremely busy at that time because several weeks prior uh, to this slab being thrown through Adam's window, Operation Dash which was a a large task force of Greater Manchester Police Detectives and specialist police officers had been busy tracking down the city's most wanted fugitive, and that was 29-year-old Dale Cregan. Uh, so obviously we know he was a dangerously violent psychopath who had allegedly shot and killed two rival gang members on two separate occasions, one of which took place in broad daylight, and these two men happened to be father and son. Uh, so, so yeah, Manchester Police uh, was busy trying to track this guy down. Cregan and his accomplices had been on the front lines of a bitter turf war between two rival crime families. They were well-known drug dealers who were armed, dangerous and completely unafraid to resort to horrific levels of violence when crossed or threatened. So needless to say, Cregan was an especially high priority for Greater Manchester Police at this time. And for several weeks at this point, a large percentage of Manchester's criminal investigation department was heavily focused on a huge manhunt that sought to arrest him at any cost because he was just so fucking violent. So they'd put, they'd, they'd, um, dispatched officers from all different sections of Greater Manchester Police Force onto this uh, operation to really try and find this guy because he was he was just so dangerous. And this is the thing, it's not even like he's just dangerous to people, it's like he's dangerous to the public, to yeah. anybody. Yeah, anyone who gets Terrifying. in his way. Absolutely. So yeah, it's a, yes, there's a bit of turf war ongoing in Manchester's criminal underworld. But Dale Cregan, yeah, is a sort of guy that won't let anyone get in his way. Uh, so most active officers on duty on this particular day when Adam phoned to say that a slab had been put through his window uh, were busy going from place to place searching various locations where they believed Cregan might be hiding. And this meant that there was a shortage of available officers in the city that day and regular, less urgent 999 calls like the one from Adam Gartry with his brick through the window or this slab through his window were being deprioritised wherever possible which is fair enough 
Nevertheless, it was 32-year-old PC Fiona Bone and 23-year-old PC Nicola Hughes who eventually attended 30 Abbey Gardens in response to Adam Gartry's earlier 999 call. They intended to take a statement from Mr Gartry and have a look at the damage that had been inflicted on his property and then maybe gather some useful evidence or clues as to who may have attacked the house and for what reason. I think I've just remembered this case. I, I knew you would when you heard those names oh, as well. Oh my God, yeah. okay, yeah. I think, but I'm not sure. As, as the two young female officers approached the property, nothing appeared to be out of the ordinary. PC Fiona Bone was originally from Norwich and had joined the police in 2007. She had almost five years of experience in her role and she was described by her friends and colleagues as professional yet fun and bubbly. The exact type of person you hope to end up working with, which I thought was a lovely thing to say. And that's all you can really ask for, isn't it? To be described as kind of good at your job, professional, but also as fun and and the kind of person that everybody hopes to work with. So just just lovely girl. Yeah. Her young uh, colleague, PC Nicola Hughes, had joined slightly later in 2009 and she was in her third year of service. And just like Ms Bone, young Nicola was equally loved and respected by her colleagues and she had shown a high level of flair and professionalism from the very beginning of her career. PC Bone and PC Hughes approached Mr Gartry's property together and were about to knock on the door. However, when they were just a few feet away, the door of the house swung open quickly to reveal a large and menacing figure in the doorway. The man, who had clearly been lying in wait for the police to arrive, was a tall, heavy-set man in his late twenties. He had short, cropped hair, was missing an eye, and was brandishing a fully loaded Glock pistol. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. The 999 call from Adam Gartry had been a trap. PC Bone and PC Hughes were now face-to-face with Dale Cregan. Manchester's most feared and murderous gangster and he had them exactly where he wanted them and I just wanted to say at this point you know the minute he opened that door they would have known who he was because he was missing an eye Um, he was well known with uh, within Manchester police so even though oh yeah they'd have been looking at his photo non-stop for weeks well yeah months yeah yeah it would have been up in the offices and on emails and they would have known that their colleagues were working on this high profile case so yeah they would have he would have opened that door and they would have immediately known it was him and and feared for their lives straight away so as i said the door swung open and dale cregan is there face to face with the two officers without a word spoken by anyone he raised his gun and unleashed a furious hail of bullets upon the two unarmed officers firing more than 32 gunshots in just 31 seconds both officers were struck down by multiple bullets during the sickening and cowardly attack pc bone was killed instantly whilst pc hughes was mortally wounded Cregan fired every bullet he had. There was no mistaking that he meant to cause death to both of them by the most violent means possible. And now one officer was dead, while the other lay dying on the lawn, her life hanging precariously in the balance. True to Cregan's utterly psychotic and despicable nature, he offered no mercy to the helpless PC Nicola Hughes. He made sure to finish the job by callously throwing an M75 hand grenade at both of the officers as they lay dead and dying on that front garden and they just stood no chance can you imagine that so you know pc hughes is still alive she's been mortally wounded she's dying she's on that front lawn it's daylight and 
Cregan hasn't finished with her and he throws a hand grenade in her direction, which then blows blows her up, basically. I just think your description of this as cowardly is so true because this isn't some fair fight where they're having, you know, it's not some gunfight where everyone's on the same page and the same turf and everyone's at the same level. This isn't that they've come in and done anything. They've literally just arrived to take a statement yeah. And this happens like it's I think cowardly is just the ideal word is. Oh, and then, yeah, like a grenade. I mean, oh. I felt the same. And they're two female officers. They're unarmed. And he's there with this pistol and a fucking hand grenade. Yeah. And rather astonishingly, despite the multiple bullet wounds and the unimaginable damage caused by this um, powerful blast from the grenade, PC Hughes was still alive and made it to hospital, but very sadly passed away uh, from her appalling injuries shortly after she arrived. I don't know how she, she was still alive at this point. Wow. Just an hour later, as the appalled and heartbroken Greater Manchester police officers were reeling from the senseless slaughter of their two dear colleagues, Dale Cregan casually walked into Hyde Police Station and handed himself in without any fuss. He openly and remorselessly told stunned police officers that he had just done two coppers in an act of revenge as he felt that the police were hounding his family. And Cregan was immediately arrested and charged with the murders of PC Hughes, PC Bone, as well as the murders of father and son gang members, Mark and David Short. And he was also wanted on suspicion of four separate counts of attempted murder. During questioning, Cregan made no attempt to shy away from what he'd done. He boasted to stunned interviewing officers that he had celebrated the night before with cocaine, beer and cigars, since he knew it would be his last night of freedom. So this is the night before he he carries out these two killings. Like, of course the police are hounding your family. You're doing all this stuff? Like, what the hell? You're a known criminal family and the police at this point know that you've murdered father and son from a rival gang. And he didn't murder, I'll come on to it in more detail in a moment, but he didn't murder the father and son at the same time. He killed the dad first and then weeks later went for for the son. Oh, God. Because the son, I, I will repeat this later, but the son basically... Um, the son of this rival gang member uh, that that Cregan did kill eventually. The son had threatened to have uh, Cregan's girlfriend raped and murdered and for, for Cregan's son to be murdered as well. So he'd had to get in quickly and kill this rival gang member. So it is definitely like a gang, like back and forth as well. It's not like he's just doing stuff with no provocation. However, obviously that doesn't justify it, but... No, this is just, this is like martial law within the criminal underworld. So that's how they settle scores. And um, I remember you, you covered uh, the Manchester criminal underworld Mm -hmm. a year or two ago. I think it might have been a Patreon bonus episode. It was about those two young kids that got like teenagers that just got in on the wrong crowd and ended up being made to take it to go and put on a hit in Salford. And it's just heartbreaking because they didn't know how to use their guns. Yeah. They literally were thrown out of the car and told, go in there and start shooting. And because they didn't really know what they were doing and their their guns jammed and all these people, then they have guns instead. And they managed to either use their own guns or get hold of these guns. It was just, it's just heartbreaking how you can kind of end up in that world. Yeah. And I, I remember the mums being so heartbroken that their sons had got into this. 
And that that was in broad daylight in a pub. Middle of the day. A packed pub, yeah, on some kind of estate in, in Manchester. Um, so anyway, yeah, Cregan's gone into Hyde Police Station, confessed and and even boasted about going on this absolute monumental bender the night before because he knows he's going down for this. And he described how he'd carefully planned to ambush and kill some police officers by luring, have I said that correctly? Fuck me. By luring them to his property under the ruse of his window being smashed in by local yobs. And of course, he showed no remorse, but he did state his only regret was that he killed two female police officers. Um, that was the only kind of element of remorse that he showed. As if that makes it like, oh, oh but yeah, I'm really sad because they were women. Oh, well, fuck don't off fucking me. kill them then, you prick. Yeah. Um, so on the 21st of September in 2012, Cregan appeared before magistrates. He was, of course, denied bail and remanded in custody. And then a few days later, he appeared at Manchester Crown Court via video link from Strangeways in Manchester and was remanded to await his trial. The horrific murder of PC Hughes and PC Bone, which was the first incident in United Kingdom criminal history in which two female police officers were killed on duty, sent shockwaves of sadness and disbelief throughout the country. Do you remember this, Beth, and do you remember that? I remember this now. When you started talking about the two police officers going up to the door, I was like, that, it, I do remember this now. I, I didn't, and I don't, I, I think I just remembered the name Dale Cregan. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's that, it's the image that's always stuck with me is the walking up to the door thinking you're just doing a routine. You're, you've been given this job because, all the really high up people are off doing the really important scary man job. Like they're going off to yeah, go get this yeah. scary man. And you're there thinking to yourselves, actually like potentially thinking to themselves, I wish I was chasing him. I wish I was on that case. Maybe, maybe they were relieved that they weren't. I don't, you know, you never know what they were thinking, but it's that idea of you think your life is going one way and you think that day is going one specific way. And it literally is turned on its head. And you must have felt a bit safer than some of your colleagues who were Absolutely, hunting for Cregan. Yeah. So you're you're least prepared for I it. I feel like I'd be a terrible police officer thinking I my description of him is a scary man. But do you know what I mean? Like it's just it's it it is. It's crazy that yeah, you you're just go and also you know as a police officer that your job is a dangerous one and you know that your life is in, in danger. That is it goes hand in hand with the job. It's the same when you're a firefighter, for example. You know that you're going into dangerous situations. But this is beyond belief, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. And I, the scenes that always stuck with me were of um, the, the funerals for these two female mm-hmm. officers and their colleagues lining the streets uh, as as the hearses went past and yeah just you know absolutely cut up it was just it, it did shock the entire country and yeah it would have absolutely been felt throughout the various police forces uh, across the country even more so. Greater Manchester's Chief Constable Peter Fahey called the attack cold-blooded murder and the Prime Minister at the time David Cameron described it as a despicable act of pure evil and he added that the cold-blooded attack served as a shocking reminder of the debt we owe to those people who put themselves in danger in order to keep us safe and secure and isn't it such a reminder of that? We so take that for granted and these people are, as you said Beth, and they're, they're putting their lives at risk every day. So despite this huge sense of sadness, the people of Manchester and indeed the Greater Manchester Police Force were finally able to breathe a huge sigh of relief. 
Dale Cregan, the dangerous, psychotic, evil and fearsome gangster, was finally in a prison cell where he had always truly belonged. His long reign of violence and crime had finally come to an end and there was no arguing the fact that the city was a much safer place because of it. But who was Dale Cregan? Why was he so widely feared by so many? And what were his true motives for mercilessly executing two unarmed female police officers in broad daylight? The truth is, we might never know the real reason why Cregan committed such a cowardly and evil crime against two innocent women. But if we take a closer look at the events that led to that fateful day in Abbey Gardens, we can at least get an idea of who he really was. And before we do that, let's hear from uh, the second of today's show sponsor. Dale Cregan was born on the 6th of June in 1983 in Greater Manchester to his father Paul and mother Anita Marie. He was their middle child and he grew up with an elder brother and a younger sister. Soon after Dale's younger sister was born, his father abandoned the family to start a relationship with another woman. As a result, Cregan grew up without a father figure in his life and it's believed that he took his father's departure from the family very badly and hated him deeply for leaving them. This hatred, combined with several years of being relentlessly bullied at school for his lack of academic ability, caused Cregan to grow into a deeply angry, bitter and exceptionally aggressive young man. During his time at Little Moss High School in Droylsden, Cregan gained a reputation as someone who probably shouldn't be messed about with. He would often get himself into violent fistfights with classmates, older street thugs and just about anyone who crossed him and during his later years of high school, Cregan entered his life of crime for the very first time when he began selling marijuana to make some extra cash and this marijuana selling, side selling hustle was uh, small but really lucrative for him. He was making substantially more money than any of the other boys his age at school and his tough guy reputation ensured that nobody dared to interfere with him or report him. At the age of 19, Cregan briefly moved to Tenerife to live with his sister, where he found work as a plasterer and a roofer. And it was legitimate work, but Cregan had already tasted and become intoxicated by the easy money that came from a life of crime. He soon became dissatisfied with honest work and returned to England with plans to build a prominent and lucrative drug empire on the streets of Manchester. It's really sad, isn't it? Because he had this opportunity to completely, you know, step away from this sad upbringing and and some of the things he'd done before. And instead he went, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do it bigger and better. And I think it was, I feel it was this realisation of... I, although I'm working in Tenerife and living there and working in the sunshine and all that, uh, this nine to five honest living for 200 quid a week is not for me. And, um, I, I think that was the, the big motivator that he was just didn't want to slog his guts out for, uh, you know, a few quid when he, he could go back home and, and potentially make millions. Mm-hmm. By the time he turned 22, Dale Cregan had advanced from selling marijuana to moving large quantities of cocaine around Manchester and he was now making an estimated 20 grand a week take-home profit. A week, wow. By 22. Isn't that mad? A million pounds a year. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, so consequently, Cregan lived a lavish lifestyle, which saw him jet-setting off to a number of luxurious holidays and exotic destinations, a bit like me, uh, where he stayed in luxury suites in high-end hotels, unlike me. Um, <laughs> he, also, he also made frequent visits to Amsterdam, uh, a city highly infamous for its underground narcotics and weapons market. So I, I think he was going to Amsterdam, obviously that was uh, on business, really. Um, but it was during one of these trips, a trip to Thailand, where Cregan got his most distinguishing feature, a permanent injury that would prove to further add to his already fearsome notoriety. Now, during an alleged street brawl involving knives, Cregan was pinned to the floor by local street thugs and had his left eye carved clean out of his skull. Which is grotesque, and we don't know if this is true. It could have been a much more uh, innocent uh, reason of how he lost his eye, but this was the legend that he told everyone. Yeah, you're not going to call him a liar, are you, either, if you don't well, think no. it's true? Yeah, and it happened in Thailand, but there's no official records of this incident happening anywhere, but it was abroad. Um, and actually, yeah, we, we don't know what the true cause was. It could be that it was as a result of this, uh, but it might not be. But uh, he filled this empty eye socket with a jet black onyx style glass eye, oh. uh, which of course gave him this menacing terrifying look which was very effective in intimidating those around him because it made him look so hard and it is you know there is this black uh black eye there it's just yeah it's very horrible (laughs) it's the only thing i can think to describe it as what a good idea if you're trying to look scary though yeah At the age of 24, whilst enjoying the peak years of his drugs enterprise, Cregan met a woman named Georgina Merriman and the pair started a serious relationship. Georgina quickly fell pregnant and at 24 years old, Cregan fathered a son. And the family at this time moved into a grand three-bedroom apartment in Droylsden, a town in Tameside, Greater Manchester, and it's about four miles out of the city centre. And this move, whilst good for the family, was about to create a very real and dangerous threat to Cregan's drug-selling enterprise because Droylsden was the territory of David Short, uh, a notorious gangster and the head of a feared drug business. So I mentioned David Short and his son Mark Short earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll come on to this story now in a bit more detail. Cregan's extravagant lifestyle and criminal activities caught David Short's attention almost immediately after Cregan moved into Droylsden. And when it became clear that Cregan had set up shop right in the centre of Short's territory, an inevitable feud started bubbling, a feud that would soon culminate in all-out war with a ruthless and bloody end. Cregan's bitter and bloodthirsty feud with David Short didn't last very long. Almost as quickly as it had begun, it spilled over into deadly violence. David Short had a much longer-running feud with a rival family of infamous drug dealers in Droylsden. Both families held fierce animosity towards the other and also had equally formidable and fearsome reputations in the city. So, yeah, David Short and his son Mark uh, are in this one gang and there's another gang uh, in Droylsden and now Cregan's moving into the territory as well. So Cregan knows about this gang rivalry and he sees it as an opportunity to make some local allies amongst Short's enemies. So he quickly became closely associated with this rival gang to the Shorts and they accepted him in as one of their own. Not long after becoming part of the enemy gang, an incident occurred in the Cotton Tree pub in Droylsden, in which a gang member, who was closely associated with David Short's family, had gotten into a violent altercation with a young woman. 
Unbeknownst to the gang member, the woman in question had her own allies, one of whom was Dale Cregan. Despite the pub incident being a relatively minor one, it was seen by Cregan and his associates as an act of disrespect. Furthermore, it provided him with a perfect excuse to strike the first blow against his main rival, David Short. So, on the 25th of May in 2010, David Short's son, 23-year-old Mark Short, a prominent member of his father's drug gang, was drinking and playing pool in the Cotton Tree pub in Droylston with three of his friends. And it had been a peaceful night, and as it reached closing time, the boys were finishing their last game of pool before heading home for the night. Suddenly, the entrance doors to the pub swung open with a loud crash. Mark Short spun around to see what was going on and was immediately confronted by the sinister sight of a masked man brandishing an automatic handgun. With absolutely no hesitation whatsoever and in plain view of stunned onlookers, the gunman opened fire and unleashed a hail of bullets at Mark and his friends. Mark Short was struck several times and died on the spot. All three of his friends were also struck by the bullets, but they all survived with serious but non-fatal injuries. Christ, this is crazy, just in the middle of the pub. Yeah, so similar to to the case that you covered uh, a while ago. But this time, a gunman who is clearly very competent and knows exactly what he's doing, and that's really terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And masked as well. I mean, as if it doesn't get any more scary. Can you imagine that? The door just Mm -hmm. bursting open and someone wearing a mask, brandishing a gun, starts firing. So this gunman fled the scene and escaped in a car that was driven away at high speed by an accomplice. Nobody had seen the gunman's face behind the mask, but that didn't really matter because uh, everyone knew who had pulled the trigger that night. And David Short was utterly devastated, of course, by the death of his youngest son, and his thirst for vengeance became a deadly obsession now. He wasn't interested in starting an all-out war with his rivals, he just wanted to get Cregan, and the war between the two men was to become as ugly as it was deadly. Um, So I thought, earlier I thought the dad was killed first, and then uh, the son, but it was the other way around, apologies. So David Short had some stiff competition at this time because he wasn't the only one who was after Dale Cregan. Despite a notable shortage of terrified eyewitnesses refusing to speak to the police for fear of reprisals, the CID knew full well that Cregan was the man behind the mask at that Cotton Tree pub shooting. Categorising Cregan as a significant and severe threat to public safety, and well aware that a violent all-out war within the Manchester underworld was now imminent, a major manhunt was launched by the police to track Cregan down and to bring him in for questioning on suspicion of murder. So Cregan knew he was being hunted by his enemies and also by the police at this point, so he promptly uh, went to ground and lay low in various locations, all in and around Manchester, and he kept distance from his closest friends and family, only communicating through burner phones and never staying in the same spot for too long, Um, so he didn't even really trust friends and family at this point. As the police intensified their efforts to track Cregan down, all to no avail, David Short did a lot better at zeroing in on his despised rival. He privately contacted Cregan and one of those burner phones and callously warned him that he and his associates intended to gang rape and murder Cregan's girlfriend and four-year-old son as revenge for Mark Short's murder. So that's what I talked about earlier. This deeply disturbing threat further infused Cregan with rage and despite still being heavily hunted by the police, he constructed a delicate plan to kill David Short before he or anyone else could make good on the threat that Cregan and his family were now faced with. 
The police, meanwhile, tried to preempt Cregan's next move by approaching members of the Manchester underworld who they knew were potential targets for him. With no means to make any arrests on anyone except for Cregan himself, the police openly warned these gang members that they were now under a very significant threat of harm, and in some cases the police did offer them protection, and David Short was amongst uh, those people that the police approached, but he predictably refused any police assistance of any kind, even though they'd gone to him and said your life is in, in very serious danger. I mean... You talk about like different enemies and stuff, but to these sorts of people, the police are also an enemy. So yeah, yeah. it's going to be, well, actually, I know this is what I know. Whereas the police are almost like an unknown quantity, aren't they? Because they're, nobody wants them. They're like everyone's enemy, I guess, of all these gangs. And if you're seen talking to the police or collaborating with them, then yeah, you're going to be got at. So you, you can't really win. If you're if you're someone like David Short, you, you can't really win here. And, um, you know, that decision to not cooperate with the police may well have cost him his life. Um, but who knows, if he had cooperated with them, it's highly unlikely he would have uh, lived to old age anyway, uh, because he'd have still been a target. Mm-hmm. The police very nearly managed to end this turf war in late July 2012 when out of nowhere they finally tracked Cregan down hiding at the home of an associate and he was arrested on suspicion of Mark Short's murder. However, after extensive questioning by the police, they were unable to draw sufficient evidence against him to warrant a murder charge and eventually the CPS ruled that there was no means to proceed and Cregan was therefore uh, released at this point without charge. So he then went straight back into hiding. He knew the police were getting closer to locking him up and he knew that he needed to step up his campaign to kill David Short quickly in order to ensure the safety of his own family. So the deadly vendetta between Dale Cregan and David Short came to an inevitably dramatic and violent conclusion on the 10th of August in 2012. Cregan received word that David was at his family home in Clayton, a suburb of Manchester less than two miles from Droylston. And so he drove there quickly with an associate to see if he could spot his target. It had been just over 10 weeks since Cregan had mercilessly gunned down David Short's son Mark. Now as Cregan approached the property he saw David Short alone unloading furniture from his car and carrying it into his house. Cregan, wild with rage and true to his psychotic nature, emerged from his car with a locked and loaded handgun and advanced on his enemy without a fear or hesitation and David fled into the home but Cregan forced his way in, confronted David in the living room and showed no mercy. He shot David nine times in the head and chest at point blank range, killing him on the spot. After shooting him, Dale performed his signature finishing move by throwing a hand grenade at David's body. The murder was gory and ruthless and David's body was found in a highly deformed state, it has to be said. This, like, grenade element is just something else, isn't it? Yeah, and I almost feel like it's part of Dale Cregan trying to create this uh, legend around himself, this signature move. Uh, to to strike fear into everyone isn't that just so cringe and like horrific that he's yeah it's like oh i'm known for this and it's like fuck off oh it, it just it, it blown this guy's head off and as if you know david short wasn't deformed enough at this point uh, a bomb's gone off in his living room basically so yeah just awful 
Um, the police knew straight away that Cregan was now responsible for this murder. They knew that he'd killed Mark Short, David's son, um, and also now David. And they had more than enough forensic and circumstantial evidence at this point to rearrest him on a double murder charge. And they also had local CCTV footage of Cregan outside a nearby property, literally carrying the murder weapon in his hand in broad daylight. And I've seen that footage mm. and it's really disturbing to see that in broad daylight. Like that. Just carrying it brazenly, a gun. Not it's not what we're it. used to in no. this country either. It's like no. quite a shocking thing. It really is. Yeah, it really is shocking. So um, the city of Manchester was put on high alert. Dale Cregan was now the UK's most wanted fugitive. He was armed, highly dangerous, unafraid to kill, and had demonstrated that he was perfectly happy to use explosives wherever necessary. It had been many years since the UK had dealt with such a dangerous individual and the police took an intense gloves-off approach to finding him before he struck again because they knew it was only a matter of time. As the police searched far and wide for Cregan, it was said that he himself began to lose his mind whilst in hiding. Even by Cregan's unusual standards of behaviour, associates of his later recalled how, during his time on the run, he became increasingly paranoid, erratic, unreasonable and illogical. He was unable to sleep or even sit down for long periods of time and was abusing drugs heavily at this point in order to cope. I was going to say, was he using as well? Because whilst these are all kind of behaviours that you would almost expect from someone in his position and with his mindset, they also sound very much like someone on drugs. So I was wondering, you know, is it going hand in hand? Oh, like totally. His nose is like, a bit fucked you can see in some photos um he he was you know hugely uh addicted to cocaine at this point and abusing mm. it yeah and and of course that paranoia goes hand in hand with it so this downward spiral into insanity lasted for several weeks actually before he finally snapped and on September the 18th in 2012, that's the day that he lured the police into coming down to his home or the house that he was staying at. And that's when he shot down Fiona Bone and Nicola Hughes, firing those 32 bullets in 31 seconds, killing both of them on the spot pretty much and bringing his known kill count to four. I'm sure it's much more than that. Mm. Dale Cregan's quadruple murder trial began on the 4th of February in 2013 at Preston Crown Court. Given Cregan's status within the Manchester underworld, the security surrounding the trial was like no other. Helicopters, police cars and police bikes accompanied the heavily armed convoy that escorted him to and from court every day. And police snipers were actually set up on nearby buildings. This was one of the most high profile and expensive trials that the country had ever seen, uh, or certainly for a long time. And it was estimated that over £5 million was spent in preventing any untoward incident happening during the trial. Wow. So, you know, that they've is got crazy. They, they've got police marksmen on buildings around the court. It's just like nothing we've ever really seen before. During his trial, Cregan was said to have become very conscious about his appearance and he asked prison staff to make him seem more presentable and he requested them to shave his beard and to cut his long hair and he took long baths and wore new clothes to the trial. Uh, each day that he was in court and during the proceedings which lasted for just under four months 
Cregan admitted at various stages to all four murders, as well as the attempted murders of three other people, along with one count of causing an explosion with a hand grenade. And when the trial finally concluded, Cregan was convicted of all four murders and three physical assaults. And the gruesome nature of the murders that he committed left the judge with little choice other than to sentence him to life imprisonment with a whole life order. And of course, that means Cregan will spend the rest of his life behind bars with no possibility whatsoever of parole. And in his closing remarks, the judge criticised Cregan for not showing any remorse or compassion for his victims and said that he had no doubt that Cregan could see the policewoman approaching the house and that they were unarmed, commenting, You acted with premeditated savagery. You drew those two officers into a calculated trip for the sole purpose of murdering them in cold blood. Outside the courthouse, high-ranking police chiefs spoke openly to the media. Sir Peter Fahey, Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police, described Cregan and his gang as a scourge on society. Manchester's Police and Crime Commissioner Tony Lloyd called them animals, while Ian Hansen, Chairman of Greater Manchester Police Federation, said Cregan was an abomination upon our society, adding, I have no problem whatsoever with the thought of him staring through one eye at a locked cell door, wondering what kind of life he is missing. I love I that love very that he's personal had a little dig insult. at him for having one eye. Yeah, That's which hilarious. is not, not Cregan's fault, and there's other people with one eye. Oh my uh, god, I love that he's kind of gone, I I'll make a little dig. <laughs> Absolutely loved it, yeah. Uh, The following day, speaking of the trial and the verdict, then Home Secretary Theresa May said, Dale Cregan is a despicable individual and I am pleased he has been sentenced to spend the rest of his life behind bars. The shootings of PCs Fiona Bone and Nicola Hughes were a terrible reminder of the risk police officers face every day. Also speaking to the media outside the court was Bryn Hughes, the father of PC Hughes, who said... She was brutally and callously murdered in the most despicable and cowardly way. We can only imagine what thoughts and feelings she experienced in those few seconds it took for this person to pull the trigger and for Nicola to draw her last breath. Our lives have been shattered beyond belief and will never be the same again. To have a child taken from you in such a cruel and meaningless way is without doubt the worst thing any parent can wish to imagine. And yeah, you can't deny that. I don't Mm. think there's a worse way to lose a child. Just a few months after he was imprisoned, Dale Cregan embarked on a hunger strike at HMP Full Sutton and this led to some serious health issues and police had to transfer him to Ashworth Hospital in September 2013 and I think he's got some issues as a result of that still. The death of Mark Short and the subsequent life sentence for Dale Cregan severely upset the balance of power within the underworld of Manchester Droylston in particular became open territory and several ambitious drug dealers fought for dominance and control of that area. The competition predictably turned to outright violence and the city in this kind of time in the sort of, you know, 2013-2014 saw some really gruesome shootouts for some time. It was a very dangerous place to be, certain parts of it. So um, an incredibly sad case and this despicable individual at the the centre of it so cruelly luring those police officers to his home to with with that sole intention of killing them as as revenge for the police trying to track him down and as he saw it bothering his family and at least he did get a whole life tariff and he is in prison where he absolutely belongs oh what a horrible horrible case yeah yeah it is there's nothing else we can say so Mm. 
Uh, thank we'll you leave for it joining there. us, everybody, and thank you, Mark, for this week's episode. And we will see you again next week. Bye.